0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Nathan Holliday. Nathan is the founder of Level Method, which is a way of organizing and systemizing training within the CrossFit methodology. And I made a comparison to Nathan, uh, which you know is being a humble, per- the humble person that he is. While well, he acknowledged it, I don't think he acknowledged it fully um, to the level I think he should. Which was Greg Glassman revolutionized fitness. And I think that there has been a lot of different iterations of CrossFit that have come about because of that. And I truly believe that Nathan has created the best and most well thought out system possible for CrossFit gyms to utilize to better scale for their members. So Nathan and I dive into everything um, exercise science and fitness and CrossFit related. And we're fairly congruent in our thinking patterns around how to best serve the average person. I know know that you guys are going to love this one. And if you have any questions, make sure to shoot them over. As always, please like and subscribe. holiday. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Oh, this is exciting, man. Usually I'm on the opposing side of this, you know, answering the questions and having it come forth with all the information. So today you're the one that's <laughs> that's got to bring it to the table. <laughs> yeah. um, how are you doing, man?
1: Good, man. Just uh, working. You know, we were talking about it a little bit before, but Tuesday is my meeting day. So just, uh, you know, getting meetings done all day, meeting with people and it's, It's a great time.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, off mic uh, about uh, how you like to batch work and you've always been someone and actually got me really interested in productivity. Um, Can you speak to that effect a little bit? Like how has productivity uh, found its place in your life and how do you use it to create systems and things to make sure that you're, uh, you know, keeping up to par?
1: Yeah, this is a big, I I think, I mean, in general, overwhelm for people is a huge factor. There's just always too much to do. And uh, as I started doing more in my life, more businesses, more projects, I started realizing that there wasn't enough time (laughs) that I couldn't get traction on these projects. And uh, I started researching and just trying to figure out uh, an answer very similarly to how, you know, at Level Method, we haven't really got into it yet, but with fitness, Trying to figure out ways to maximize. And one of the absolute best ways uh, is batching, mainly because of the idea around context switching. So continuously having to switch between different things. So you know you you're you're in your work and then you're in your family, and then you're in your things. So or same things happens with uh, meetings. You're meeting with people, and then you go into deep work. And I think we've experienced having a meeting later on. And kind of being nervous about fully engaging in something because we got a, a meeting later on, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I just I just found that it, it helps so much to be able to batch and to be able to focus all of your attention on one thing for a period of time.
0: What are some really practical tips that you would have um, for the audience to kind of get better control over uh, their the structure of their day and maybe reduce that ambient anxiety that they experience from the overwhelm? I mean, the,
1: the simplest thing... And it's so cliche, you're going to hear this everywhere, is but to, to create a list and get it out of your head, right? you got to get things out of your head. And uh, once you've created that list, prioritizing and figuring out what's most important to you, right? These are things that if you're going to be able to move in any direction, you've got to be able to prioritize. And you don't want things that aren't important to just kind of take over your time and you realize at the end of your day that you spent your time doing a bunch of stuff that was meaningless. So I would say that the number one thing, I mean, you don't wanna say meaningless, but it was not, it could, it could have been better, right? And so I think that just writing a, you know, making a list and being able to look at that throughout the day and just kind of keep yourself on track. I think distraction is one of the big, distraction and overwhelm, right? You get distracted down some rabbit hole, down some path you forget what you were doing, three hours have passed, and then you're like, you know, <laughs> you're like just scrambling, trying to get things done now.
0: Yeah, I would 100% agree. I had posted something a few weeks ago that um, more or less said, there's no such thing as burnout, or it's at least much further away than most people would believe. You're actually probably just filling your life full of shitty distractions.
1: For sure, that the whole idea of you know achievement versus just being busy right? Are you actually moving things forward? And it's, it's so difficult. You know, this is like the ongoing challenge. And of anybody, any professional person, anybody that has a family, anybody that has lots of stuff going on, it's a never ending battle to figure out how to allocate your time, juggle the things that you have, giving time to the things that matter, not neglecting something. Because I don't know if you know, Jim Rohn, but Jim Rohn's a classic. He's an old school, you know, and he's always, um, you know, you don't want to, um, well, I lost my train of thought, but what, what was I just saying? Uh, Jim Rohn. No, but before that, like, why did I talk about Jim Rohn?
0: Uh, we were talking about um, uh, productivity and like pl- planning out your days.
1: Oh. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't remember what I was saying about Jim Rohn, <laughs> but Jim Rohn, I mean, if you look at any of his stuff, um, you, you have to understand that it's all about priority, right? You wanna make sure that uh, you're looking and you're looking through your life, you're letting, th- you're seeing things that are, you know, that need to become a priority and you're putting your time on those things.
0: Yeah, now I know um, one of the things that a lot of people that are in the minimalist culture uh, live by is, you know, the best way to organize your stuff is to throw most of it away. How much do you think Hmm. this is true when it comes to planning out your days? Like this is kind of that, like Greg uh, McCohen, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, like the essentialist Essentialist. approach. Yeah, so how much of that do you think plays a role in people's ability to be uh, productive?
1: I think uh, that is extremely important. There's the to-do list, and then there's the to-don't list, right? So understanding what you aren't gonna do is super important. Um, and eliminating things again, but this always comes back to priorities and it comes back to uh, what you're here for. So what's the what's the big goal? What what What's the vision? Why are you working? And if things can track back and you can look at things and you can track it back so the activities that you're doing are actually in line with the bigger things, you're gonna be moving in the right direction and eliminating everything else. So like there's a Warren Buffett quote that's like, how do you like how how do you it's like a success quote and it's like okay, make a list of all the things that you need to do, then uh rank them in order and take the top three and then cross out the second and third one. I love and that. You got one. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I've heard so that before.
0: Talking. Oh, that's so no, it's so good. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, wow, that's it's so illuminating. Um, because for most people it's it's probably jarring for them in the moment, because like, wait, what? Like say goodbye yeah, to yeah. two down Um, But yeah, I think to the same point, I think the the point he was trying to make was that it's it's the things that are like two through five or two through seven are almost more dangerous than 10 and down, because those are Mm -hmm. the things where you have just enough uh, you have just enough commitment for them to rob you of the most amount of time. Whereas like the priorities that are further down the list, you're far less likely to give more of your energy. So it's like it's the stuff that's just under one that actually is probably uh, keeping you from like truly prioritizing that first thing.
1: And it's just it's taking your time. You know, it's taking up your time that you could be focused. And we all I I just finished a book called Willpower, which is all about this sort of stuff. And it's like you want to just we have so many different strategies to uh, not do the thing that we know we should do right? Cleaning the desk or cleaning the thing or distracting yourself with lower priority projects. And uh, there was in the book, they use an example of a a writer. um, And this was a to don't, I don't remember who the writer was, but he was like, you know, he had a to don't list. So when he would sit down to write, he had one thing and his to don't was everything else. So (laughs) he couldn't distract himself with anything. If he didn't want to write, that's fine. So if you have something that you need to do, and you know, you need to do it. You sit down and you just make yourself... You don't have to do it, but you can't do anything else, right? Right. <laughs> and I think that's it's super valuable.
0: Well, and it's, it's pretty common that writers will often, you know, board themselves up into a cabin somewhere in the middle of nowhere to force themselves to kind of uh, work through... Uh, what is it? The resistance? Is that what it's called um, in uh, Turning Pro? Have you read that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay. It's, it's exactly... It's, a, it's the, like... Uh, you know, it's overcoming the friction that with any any sort of artistic endeavor, any writing or anything that's going to be you pouring out your your blood essentially.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. I just wanted to dive into that a little bit because um, you were actually the one who got Scott into it, and Scott got me into it, and I became somewhat obsessed with productivity. And I never thought I would be reading entire books on creating checklists, but there it was. Um, So I have much to thank you for that because it has given me a much greater uh, sense of purpose with the the way that I think about dividing my time. Um, Now, uh, to kind of shift gears a little bit and get into the fitness realm, um, you and I both being business owners, I'm sure have experienced the effect it has on our ability to pursue sport. Um, but I know in your early days, uh, you were a, an athlete um, through a, a, within a few different dimensions. So can you speak to your the beginning of your athletic career and some of the sports that you played?
1: Yeah, so um, I was always active as a kid. And uh, I grew up uh, doing a lot of kickboxing. Like from when I was 10 to 16 or so, I was just always kickboxing. And i was obsessed with it i loved it in in high school also i played different sports um i i didn't really spend multi-years in any one sport so i wrestled i played water polo i ran track um and you know long jump uh 400 and i wasn't good at really any of them (laughs) because i I mean you can't get good in one year like come on like you're not going to be that good unless you're supernaturally gifted and i'm not all that naturally gifted um, so, you know, I did a lot of different sports and just kind of dabbled in different things. My dad wouldn't let me play. He would not let me play football because uh, he, was, he was always very afraid of me banging my head. Um, but I learned from playing these different sports, I kind of got an idea of, before I knew anything about energy systems, an idea of how different things felt. You know, and a lot of times, like the first time I ever ran a 400, like really ran a 400 it was just like in PE or something like when I was a freshman and I had no idea what I was in for like I had zero clue and we go out I'm wearing full pants because I didn't know what I was doing (laughs) and I was wearing I'm like running as fast as I could and you know the first 100 or 200 meters you're like dude I got this this is no problem and but then when it shifts over you know and at that 30 40 50 second mark up into the minute it gets into that range. And I remember just running the last like 50 meters and I was just, it felt like I was in like just in sand. Like I just barely (laughs) could move. I finished this, I finished the race. I just collapsed and my lips were blue and I couldn't believe how hard it was. Like I remember I would watch people running and I'm like, I could do that. And when I went to do it, it was just incredibly difficult. And that's why I started doing more running because of that experience. And the same sort of thing happened with CrossFit. You know, when I found it years, years later, it was so hard. I I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was like, wait, what's going on? Until I realized how you need to navigate energy systems. And it's only hard because you're in a certain system. And unless you're truly really trying to get into that system, you should know how to navigate yourself around it. And that's really where, when I first started learning about energy systems, why it was so fascinating to me because energy systems and sensations Sensation, energy system, they're like very synonymous. A certain system is going to make you feel a certain way. And when I made that connection, I was like, okay, this is super fascinating stuff.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you like, what was it that intrigued you to get into CrossFit originally? Um, and uh, what made you fall in love with the methodology and the experience?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, when I was, I got out of the army and I went into the army. And so I went into the army right out of high school And in the army, you know, you have to run a lot. You're doing PT, all sorts of different stuff. But I was obsessed. I was very like skinny growing up. I mean, the 150 pounds at six foot, you know, when I joined the army, when I got out of the army or when I got out of basic training, I was like 175. So I was like getting bigger, but I always wanted to be bigger and stronger, stronger primarily. So I started lifting weights and look, going down the bodybuilding w- world and trying to figure out how to get bigger. And I quickly discovered that uh, the, the classic bodybuilding stuff was overtraining me. Like I I, w- I I couldn't sleep, you know. I was irritable all the time. So I started looking at abbreviated strength training. In the world of Strassen Iron Mind, uh, this this very classic abbreviated strength training world, weightlifting. Um, and so I got into this this sort of, uh, you know, brawn, if you know Mick Robert, he wrote this book called Brawn. It's very abbreviated strength. I started getting obsessed with that and building up my strength over like three or four years, getting stronger and stronger. Then I morphed into weightlifting because in that same world you have uh, Iron Mind is a big weightlifting. And so I started getting all these DVDs on weightlifting and I was like obsessed with weightlifting. This was when I was deployed. So I started watching, I was in Iraq watching these DVDs on how to weightlift and I was like going to the gym and trying to lift, I'd snatch with like metal plates and stuff. I had no idea what I was doing, but I loved it. I'm like, this is so cool. And this was probably uh, 2007, 2006, 2007 when I was doing all weightlifting obsessed I had like all of my I look back at videos and stuff it's just ridiculous I had no idea what no coach you know (laughs) um and then I I discovered one of my friends that was uh back in the states he he uh, emailed me and was like hey have you heard of CrossFit and I was like no I don't know what that is and so I look it up and the, the games had just the 2007 games had just happened and I'm going through all the stats I'm looking at these guys and I just couldn't believe all of them were stronger than me and all of them were like fit and fast. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is awesome. Like, I, cause I love the idea of being good at a very wide range of things. Like anything that came out of the hopper or whatever, you could do it, you weren't limited. And I just loved that idea. And that's really what got me down the path, sort of the evolution into CrossFit.
0: Okay, and then when you had moved home, did you start at a CrossFit gym?
1: Yeah, that's when I started Eric's gym, Eric LeClaire. He uh, had Team CrossFit Academy. And I, as soon as I got out, I went right to his gym. Um, I just walked in, you know, and, and tried to start coaching. I got my level one, and then I started coaching. This is right in the beginning of 2008. And
0: how soon did you kind of pick up that pursuit of wanting to be competitive? Was it immediate?
1: Oh, Immediate. Immediate, yeah. Like, yeah. Even so you, before before.
0: So you knew going like coming out of the army and going into the CrossFit gym. You were like, "I'm here to be a competitor,"
1: for sure. And I, I, it's like back when the pool was small, I still didn't really make it happen. You know, that's what's so funny about now. Like things are just insane. But I was from day one. I was like, "I want to be the fastest, the the fittest." I want to learn everything I can about programming. That's when I, I started learning from James Fitzgerald, OPT or OPEX now. Yep. Um, I just became obsessed. You know, I wanted to do everything I could to get fitter. Um, and now you, did you qualify for regionals one year? I was in 2010. I went to regionals in SoCal. Um, and then, and then I ruptured my Achilles in 2011. Oh. Um, and that was, that was what totally changed the, the direction. Because again, like those are the early days of like, there was no, there was no rhyme or reason. People were just doing crazy stuff all the time, and no one really knew how. It wasn't a real sport yet. It was just kind of like this random stuff. And I realized that I was just chronically overtraining myself. Um, and were you doing yeah, your own? That,
0: were you doing your own programming back then?
1: So I worked uh, for a while. I was from two thousand eight. I was following like um, online stuff. So like OPT, the big dogs. If you remember the big dogs, they were very early days. Um, I was doing all that with all the original Gary Martin and, um, you know, Nate Schrader was on there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of the original people. So I was doing that. And then I started working with James uh, getting program design. And, uh, you know, I was, I was totally dedicated to my training. Like I was hundred percent. I was just always, that's what I was thinking about. Uh, I was doing, I was reading and studying all the time, every day, all day for myself. Like, how can I get better but then once I once I sustained that injury, it really shifted my focus away from myself into, like, I have to come up with, I have to kind of solve some of these problems uh, with, like, just kind of systemizing what's going on here. Like, there's no, there was no map. Like, now we have the map. It's like, it's not perfect, but it really gives you a good snapshot of the world of fitness. And there was nothing like that.
0: And uh, it's what I wish I had. What I got out of the army, like I wish I had the level method. I'd be like, bang, let me see where I am. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So, obviously, at some point, you know, your to, to your point where you were talking about, there was a moment where the the initial thought for creating levels or systems um, to be able to kind of map your fitness experience out was born of your own personal experiences, um, you know, with CrossFit, but. What exactly were the problems that you were trying to solve when you were creating Level Method in the very beginning?
1: So the, I, the Level Method went through several iterations before it was Level Method. So Level Method really d- didn't become what it is, like in this the way it is today until like 2015, 2016. So in 2011, I ruptured my Achilles It blew up my whole world in terms of like, what am I doing? Like, where where am I going? Like my identity, like all of my identity was in athlete. Like I'm going to be doing this stuff, like snatching heavy, doing all this stuff. Uh, And then in 2012, like about a year, almost a year after I opened my gym. And this was the first gym that I had. You know, I had a couple partners. We came in. I was like the coaching guy. I was the training guy programming guy. Like that's kind of like my role. Um, and from 2012 to 2014, 15, 16, that range, I just worked with clients like 100% in the world of clients, in the world of coaching, trying to figure out how to get more compliance from people, how to plug people in to fitness So people would come in of all different types and all different things. And there was no way like we would have like, I don't know if you remember the baseline workout. It was like a very classic workout that you do when someone comes in. Yes. And it was like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And it's like all this different stuff. And some people would come in and just smash it. Like just completely smash. Other people would not even be able to get through the first part. I'm like, this is not a good, this is weird. Like, why are we doing it this way? So I was just <laughs> always thinking about trying to figure out a way of onboarding people, getting them plugged into fitness, keeping them safe, engaged. And when I was working with James, so if you know OPEX, Um, they're all program design, individual program design. That's the thing. And you can't deny the uh, the effectiveness of individual program design. When you have one-on-one stuff, it's like, you know, it's awesome. But a lot of people don't wanna be working on -on one-on-one all the time. So my question was always, how do you bring the individualized idea to a group, right? And this was impossible in many, many people's eyes. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, there's gotta be a way and so the first iteration was uh, something called super systems, which was kind of a conglomerate of a bunch of different stuff. And we we had uh, gym programming, and that was like the first iteration of my ideas around how uh, things could fit together. And um, it was kind of again convoluted. It wasn't. It didn't become cohesive until the first uh, iteration of level method, where I I realized that. First, levels are, you know, everyone knows levels. It's been around forever. But, you know, you have, like, the Seattle Level 4. But there's, it was not really, like, it didn't make sense across energy systems. So everything was always built, like, linearly. So, like, the, the early level would be one push-up, and then the, the highest level would be 100 push-ups. But they, you, you realize that, like, when I can do one or five push-ups, this is max... Max effort, like electricity, like I'm like getting one rep at a hundred. It's pure stamina. Right. Right. So like, how does that work? Right. And so when I realized that the category would change based on the level, that's when the aha was like, Oh, okay. This is, how a, a real level system could be created based on a category that was was uh, calibrated to the level so that it was matched the system at the level as it went up, right? So when I made that like, uh, when I had that aha moment, that was when my subconscious was like, okay, this is possible. And then it just kind of went through iteration after iteration. When I realized that we originally had colors, right? So just the colors when I realized that there's such a thing as belts, belt like stripes, when I realized that there could be steps inside each one, this was another huge, I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is awesome, you know? So that's kind of the, the way it developed was to solve Love Method originally, it was just to solve the problems within fitness of bringing people on board, plugging them into fitness, and having a very clear assessment protocol for someone. So at a, at a glance, in a snapshot, as a coach, I could see exactly where someone was in fitness. So someone comes to my gym from another gym, and they're like, I've been doing CrossFit for five years. This means nothing. I don't know what that means.
0: If you're a, right? if you're a gym owner at all, you know that that statement is such an understatement.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it could be, I mean, it could be so many things as a member who's been doing CrossFit for five years like you might have a completely different history you might be coming from a background of obesity right you might be there. so five years for someone is completely it can be so many different things but if I say if someone comes to me and they say I'm blue three boom like right away I get a picture in my head of what they're capable of doing and what they can do which as from a coach's perspective is just gold if you know how to use it right if you know what to do with that information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things that actually drew me in was in as part of the onboarding process for us when we were getting involved with Level Method, I was just in love with your explanation and analogies in the way you broke down energy systems to that like electricity, ventilation, and plumbing. Can you speak to a little bit about um, why you uh, put that analogy in place and maybe put it into practical terms uh, for the average person to kind of understand energy systems on a deeper level?
1: Yeah, so um, that model, so if you look at energy systems in general and you look at the, the world of energy systems, they're very complicated, extremely complicated. There's all sorts of different stuff trying to explain these, like the way energy systems work and how they morph together. I wanted a very simple model. I wanted a way of explaining things very easily so that someone could understand conceptually what each of these systems were. So like you have three, right? Electricity, plumbing, ventilation. Now these will be mapped. They can be mapped to a bunch of different names. So like within CrossFit, you would get uh, phosphagen, glycolytic, oxidative, right? Classic CrossFit. Yep. So they map, they're very, very similar, but electricity, plumbing, and ventilation are basically in a, an analogy of a house. Electricity provides like shocking power. Plumbing is all the fueling and ventilation is the air system. So if I'm looking at, if I if I map those things to the human body, electricity are things like Um, you know, neurological development. Like in the brain, you have the CP, creatine phosphate system. So like sharp contractions, heavy contractions. Um, You have in the plumbing, you have the stamina, the strength endurance. So more of the muscular systems. And then in the ventilation, you have the aerobic systems, you know, uh, like base work, aerobic endurance, like these sorts of things. So by just simply switching from all the complicated names to having electricity, plumbing and ventilation, I can have easier discussions with people. So I can, I, I can kind of lay on complex ideas through simple language so that a member can get it really quickly. And if you can take those names and then you can apply them to sensation. So again, it always comes back to sensation. So if we're in the class, and I know that you do this, but you always answer or, or uh, tell them how it should feel how the workout should feel right so when it's lactic tolerance or lactic endurance however like when you're doing that it's going to be painful like you can't get around that like i'm sorry that's just the system it's like if you want to access the the adaptation of that system the way you access it is through the sensation and the sensation is sometimes you in order to get the sensation You have to go like max effort for two minutes. You know what I mean? Or you can't really go max effort for two minutes, but extremely high level of uh, output for two minutes.
0: Yeah, I'd like to linger on that point for a second because I actually think that that's probably one of the greatest benefits outside of just keeping people safe and within their, um, you know, kind of not scope of practice, but within their ability levels. I think that giving people a relatable sensation appropriate to the stimulus of the workout is so transformative in helping your members actually understand why you're doing the workout that you're doing and how they should feel. And then this also provides them a little bit more feedback in terms of, you know, maybe I am brown in deadlift, but today that may not make sense given the stimulus that I'm supposed to be trying to achieve here. So we always Mm. kind of couch our workouts in this, um, discussion, which is, this is how I want you to feel given the workout and the stimulus and the time domains that we're working within. And it just changes the calculations that people are doing in their head prior to starting a workout, rather than just like, I'm going to go all out and see what happens. And don't get me wrong. There are times where that can be not only appropriate, but helpful, but more times than not, you should go into it with a little bit better idea of how to approach the workout that you're about to go after.
1: You know, and, and, Speaking of that specifically, I talked about that 400-meter run I ran. The first time I did, you know, Cindy, which is a 20-minute workout, like, I approached them the same, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm going to go as hard as I can. People do this way too often. So when you start fitness and you get into fitness and the, the timer goes off and you're like the countdown starts you're, and you're ready to go, you hit it and you start going, and four minutes in, you're freaking spent. That was not the right system. Not all workouts should feel the same if they're feeling the same, you're doing it incorrectly, or you're not, you're not yet differentiating between the the systems, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think that it's important for people also to recognize the downside or downstream effects of going to failure all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And the thing that I always try, the point I try to get across is that if you were to graph, um, like proximity to failure and rate of recovery, what happens is, is at the at the point where your proximity to failure is very close, where you're like a nine or a ten, your rate of recovery plummets, and this isn't just in the acute sense; it's also chronic. So it can start to take its effect on your central nervous system and your ability for your muscles and connective tissue to recover day to day and week to week, and putting you into a point of detriment um, uh, or deficiency where you start actually, you know, exhibiting inflammatory responses and, and you know injury and whatnot. So it's it's important to know also. Well, how do I operate it like an RPE, that relative perceived exertion of about a seven, and then hold that for 30 or 40 minutes. Um, So one of the things that we do, um, or love to do, is I'll have people do one round of a workout, and then I'll say, okay, do an RPE seven, and then they do it, and I say, rest three minutes. Okay, now we're going to do this for 40 minutes, because I want to see their predictive power over their pacing, because it's really interesting to see who chose, you know, RPE nine thinking it was RPE seven because they were fresh and then crash and burns 15 minutes into that. And then who gets done and is like, shoot, I should have gone harder. But I really like the idea of letting people get a sense of like auto regulation to their um, to their uh, energy systems and like how to handle pacing based on the demands of the workout.
1: Yeah. Pacing it, it pacing is a skill and it's a skill that is affected by pressure. So, like, if you're about to do, you're in the CrossFit Games, you're about to do a thing, the pacing becomes more difficult. So, like, when you're in a workout and the timer goes off, pacing becomes more difficult. You need, you need experience and you need uh, strategies to deal with that in the moment, you know, because you've seen even, like, if someone has a, a long history of athletics – I've seen people that have been athletes their whole lives completely not pace correctly at all because they think that they have more capacity than they do, right. And so so it's this balance. there's a there's a big balance and pacing is something that is just it takes a long time. and understanding energy systems accelerates the learning, right It accelerates. when you start to understand sensation, it accelerates it. so you can kind of you can remove yourself from it. And you can say, was that the right feeling? Yes or no. Or while you're in the workout, am I feeling the right feeling? Yes or no. If it's too much, you're going too fat. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And in one part, you have this kind of genetic muscle physiology that optimizes you for one system or another. And then you have your trained benefit, right? The adaptation you've gotten from the sports that you've taken part in. And these things Mm -hmm. combine with, along with the mentality and then, you know, your, your training time and time off and all those factors coming into play, um, they ultimately – like determine which things you're going to be good at or bad at naturally. So you see this, like there are people that are really good at pacing in a workout that's seven minutes, but really terrible at 40 and then vice versa. Yeah. And it's really fascinating mm-hmm. to see because you can have members that love longer cardiovascular based, um, you know, efforts, and then they absolutely just like die every time we do lactic tolerance. And then there's ones that like they thrive in lactic tolerance. They'll do that every day if, if, if you gave them the, the choice, but you put them in a 30 minute workout and they just don't know. It's like, it's like why watching a car, you know, do a burnout and then stop and then do a burnout and then stop. So I'm fascinated by kind of the, you know, the the, the ends of the spectrum and of the continuum there.
1: And there's a, there's definitely a genetic makeup, right? With that. But if you look at people like, um, there have been athletes that I know in the past, that are genetically just absolute powerhouses. They're just like, they're the the short duration, you know, super fast, that sort of person. And their training in order to train for something like the the CrossFit Games or whatever is primarily aerobic. Right. So it's right. primarily breathing stuff and you just kind of shift them all the way over there. They can maintain this other one. So like that genetic predisposition depends on what you're training for. But like you have these you have this uh, everybody has their preferences just naturally. You know? For sure.
0: And as much as I'm impressed by a coach that can um, take an athlete to a high level, I'm 10 times more impressed by a coach that can take an athlete from one domain and then get them to train in the thing or the things that they're not naturally gifted in. It's like taking the power lifter and being like, okay, like let's develop your metabolic conditioning. And like, it is a painstaking process because they're gonna fight you tooth and nail through that process.
1: Yeah, and if they know, so like a a lot of the stuff that with everything, there there there's similarities and it's like the details of the thing. So when you're training aerobic and it's long, long, like th- thinking about the rhythm of your breathing, the focus of these internal, very specific things that you can do, it can make it more interesting. But if you're like, I just got to go do 40 minutes of crap, right? Like it, and that's the, the coaching discussion. I totally agree with you. Have being able to bring the excitement of these different systems to people so that when you immerse yourself in a system, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new set of things to focus on. Like if you do a 20
0: minute row, right? (laughs) Everyone's favorite. Yeah. Um, No, it's interesting you say that because we we commonly will say, I want you to focus on your technique or your pacing um, and your breathing as a way to distract you from the fact that this is a 30-minute workout or just to, to not get lulled to sleep in the boredom of the workout, right? When you start to mm-hmm. focus more internally and be a bit more interoceptive during your training, it definitely changes and, uh, to your point, enhances the experience for the client.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally.
0: Um, now, w- one thing that I've always found interesting is like you, you get a lot of copycats coming off of the emergence of – brand, or a new service, or uh, a new system, and, you know, this happened, this was very prevalent within CrossFit, like, Greg Glassman revolutionized fitness, and we'll forever, you know, be indebted to him for that, but then you started to see, you know, the F45s, the Orange Theories, on a more formal level come about, and then you saw every iteration of, like, there were, you know, any, any training gym that had the capacity for group fitness would be doing something that was CrossFit like, and they'd be like, we're doing cross training. And like, it was just basically the stepson of of CrossFit. Um, But you're starting to see this of level method. Um, And we're, we're seeing in the, the CrossFit space that gyms, whether they jump on board with level method or not are becoming more and more interested in systems. And I have to say that I think you kind of got that ball, uh, you know, the moment you you gave the momentum necessary in that direction. Um, do you think that CrossFit itself as a brand is starting to work more towards a place of structure and systems as a way to help delineate um, you know, the, the, the responsibility of, of, uh, of like systemizing the approach with their clients?
1: So, I mean, we've seen it in the, in the open. Right. So they they did the the levels thing. I think it was in the open where they kind of like took it, but it was all based on percentiles. Right. And so I think that just in the the grand scheme of things, no one's going to deny that having levels is an improvement. So if I can have levels and I can do that, that's great. No one's going to say, no, we shouldn't do that. But it's always going to come back to what are the levels based on. So if the levels are based on within a percentile, like, if you looked at the data because we did look at the data it's based on people that competed and we're looking at like so the early levels there's just piles of people because it's not based on objective measurement it's based on relative measurement so if someone beats me they get a higher level than me but that's not the way it should work it should be based on objective measures so that there's no there's no leeway so i think that If you look at the fundamentals of what CrossFit is, like the original philosophy, the direction, the future direction of CrossFit is going to really be determined by the leadership. So if the leadership of the company is looking and trying to keep CrossFit what it was, the, the core philosophy, then there won't be levels. But if the new leadership is thinking, "Ooh, this is an opportunity here, we want to start doing this and we start to push forward in this direction to appeal to more people, then we will see that. But then it always fundamentally comes back to what are the levels based on. And this is one reason why it's been you know, five or six years. At some point, we will have a direct competitor. There will be someone that does levels. The, the barrier to entry is very high because you need a map before you can do level-based programming. So if I try to just provide levels-based programming or if I just provide a workout with levels, what are the levels based on? They're not based on anything. They can't be because there's no underlying structure. So it needs to be reversed and whoever comes up with another level system would need to build a map first so that there's a structure in place. And then from that point, they can have the levels layered on top of it. If you go percentile based, it'll work for competitors. But as we know, what's the percentage of people that are competitors versus not competitors? It's like, you know, 0. 0.00. It's a tiny percentage of competitors versus non-competitors. We want to be able to appeal to everybody. And in order to do that, we need objective measurement.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I'm I'm as curious as you are, and also just really not in the know as far as what to expect out of CrossFit within the next decade, um, I, I the, the counter ba- to this or the the pushback I always get when people, you know, believe that they're running a gym, uh, a CrossFit gym, that for that matter, where they're able to scale at scale, right, for larger groups of people, um, is that they think like, okay, if I just have high quality coaching, and we defer to the expertise of the coach, that coach should be able to pass down the correct recommendations to everyone in that class. And I have just, through my experience of visiting probably 50-some CrossFit gyms, have never seen this to be done well. And I can't imagine that it's even possible for the best coach in the world to do once you get above, like, four people. You know what I mean? Like- it,
1: for sure. It's consistency. It's so difficult to be consistent. And this is another – I don't want to say flaw, but within the model of CrossFit, you have floor coaches – Floor coaches, just in terms of the model, the, the, the churn rate is a little higher. So after a couple of two or three years or some amount of years, they're going to go do PT or do do something. They're not going to necessarily be a floor coach for their whole life. So it becomes difficult to get ver- people that really, really know everything in and out because they're going to go and they're going to do other things. You want to systemize it. In my mind, you don't necessarily want to have people scaling in the moment every time because there's there's no way to control that. People have different ideas. They have different thinking of what should be done and what shouldn't be done Without a without a structure behind it to say, no, no, this is what you're capable of. And if you wanna do more, then you have to show the capability and then we can move you up. Without that, then it's just, I make the decision in the moment based on a whim. And now there's something to be said about intuition. But no offense to a, a coach that's been coaching for six months, but I don't want to trust your intuition <laughs> you know, fair <laughs> you enough know, like uh, yeah you fair know? enough and
0: and and that's yeah i've I've made that point like maybe a full-time coach could pull it off after their fifth or seventh year you know of of working mm-hmm. full-time but like part-timers that are doing this as a hobby, you expect them to scale twenty p. it's just not gonna happen.
1: No, no, definitely not. It's like level two level three like someone that's been doing it a long time, they know their stuff they've been immersed they're they're teaching. Uh, seminars. They're doing that stuff. I'll trust them. Yes. Go. I, I'm sure like I didn't like, we didn't create the level method for that person. Like to be able to scale, we did it as a, as a mechanism to be able to scale, the scale, like to at scale, do scaling. That's so confusing to say it that way, I know, <laughs> but it's that. like to, be able to scale lots of people systematically. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, and I think it's also it's to the benefit even for the most experienced coach, because now they have to spend less time in the minutia exactly. and can get into the real conversations about the things that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, of sensations in the workout, because everyone already knows what weights they should be using and how many calories they're pulling on the rower and what form or variation of pull-ups that they're doing because they have their levels in front of them rather than me having to figure all that out from scratch.
1: Totally agree. Like th- there are things that we want to offload Right. There are things that, like, I don't want to be trying to scale everyone, doing math in my head. I want to focus on the skills of coaching, of cueing, looking at movement, fixing things, helping someone, helping them overcome problems they have, jumping to a box. You know what I mean? Like, this is the stuff I want to do. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, bad 10 pounds. Like, okay, I I want that all taken care of.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, Now, I'm sure the audience has already gotten a hint of this, but like you might just be a little bit more of an exercise science nerd than me. And I think that that's hard to do. Um, so with that said, is there anything new that's kind of caught your eye or something you've been paying attention to? Uh, Cause every time you and I talk, there's like something new you got in the pipeline. So, uh, yeah, what, what's what's in, on your mind? I mean,
1: honestly, like I was thinking about this and, um, I mean, fundamentally, there's not much changing in my mind in exercise science, like when it comes to energy systems, um, the things that are really interesting to me are things, and we've talked about this before, like uh, the in- inspiratory metabo reflex, right? How the lung muscles work versus the, the, in relation to the bigger muscles. So like the, the lung muscles themselves being a, um, a sort of a, a, a bottleneck on someone's performance. And so they can't necessarily access their fitness unless they use, unless they strengthen their lung muscles, which requires specific training around uh, using like an inspiratory um, resistance trainer, things like that.
0: Can you describe that that reflex a little bit for people?
1: Yeah, so it's been a little while, so you gotta hang with me, but we've talked about it before, but like the inspiratory metabolic reflex essentially is if I'm, if I'm working out, say I'm doing thrusters or I'm doing something that's full body and like just the same way as everybody has muscles that are stronger than other muscles, like you might have naturally strong back or legs or whatever. Some people have naturally strong lung muscles. Some people have naturally weak lung muscles. So what ends up happening is if I'm working out and I suddenly feel like classically winded Like, I can't, I can no longer get a deep breath. I can't catch my breath no matter what I do. And this was me. So when I was in the army, I had a a friend who, uh, his name was Hazinga. And this guy smoked. He was like, just, in no way would you think this guy was fit. But he was ridiculously fast. And he was super strong too for like some reason, but we would do a a two miler, you know, and he would be smoking before like smoking cigarettes (laughs) right before the thing. He would just go out and run like uh, under 12 minutes, which is like super fast. You know, it's like uh, super like that's fast no matter who you are. And I would come being like huffing and puffing like after like 14 plus minutes. So like he just completely smoked me. And I asked him one day, like, what does it feel like when you run? And he's like, Well, my legs burn. And I was like, (laughs) what? Like, what do you mean your legs burn? I'm like, "What?" he's like, how does it feel when you run? And I was like, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. And so when I I started doing CrossFit, I noticed that same thing. I wasn't able to catch my breath. And this is when I started learning about uh, inspiratory training in general. And essentially, if I'm running and my lung muscles fatigue faster, my brain will shut off blood to my periphery. That's the inspiratory metabo reflex. It's a reflex, a meta- metabo reflex, where my body shuts off blood because it's trying to preserve for the lungs and whatever, like inside, right? It's so like a
0: defense mechanism.
1: It's a defense, exactly. It's a defense mechanism. So if you train your inspiratory muscles by doing weighted breathing, what I call weighted breathing. So it's with a breather and you breathe against resistance there are different protocols. There's a book called Breathe Strong by a lady uh, named McConnell, who uh, like, when I read that book, it completely blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. But this, the research is just ridiculous. People putting, the, like gaining two or 3% for cyclists, which is r- ridiculously fast. Like that's a, that's a huge progression to make on cycling. And so people, they, they would train with these breathers and then they would o- basically open up their lungs to get more access To their muscles right so that they could then go further so if you do uh experiments with cyclists and you have them breathing through a thing that is uh where it's essentially force air it forces air into your lungs so it takes the resistance out people can go like 10 percent more they could like they can just completely crush it because they don't have to they're not fatiguing their lung muscles anymore so it's this sort of stuff that when i find little things like this extremely fascinating because it, it's not commonly known at all, even now. Like, I'm the only one that I know that talks about this stuff. Uh, it's, just, it's just funny.
0: Yeah. So before um, I get into the last question here to wrap this up, I'll tell you a funny story. So after you and I had met, um, I actually purchased one of those breathing devices and I keep it in my book bag and I use it when I drive to and from the gym. So I try to mm-hmm. do it for about 10 minutes. Um, and I... I've always had very good lung capacity. I don't know if it's like my dad was always a musician and he, he was always able to pull that off. So maybe part of its genetics, um, but I don't have any trouble with doing that. Um, but I did find um, an, like an immediate benefit. And also a, um, there was a reduction in the urgency that I felt to take a breath without it. So like when you first start using it, you get two or three or four breaths in and you're like, okay, I got to get rid of this thing. But then it's like, okay, eight. So there's this level of adaptation that comes with using it. Uh, but the funny part about this is sometimes i will be at like a four-way stop and people look at me because this thing's like sticking out of my mouth as I'm like doing these breathing exercises. And they're like, what the heck is this guy doing? So fitness. <laughs> yeah, fitness, exactly. So I, there's a part on my drive where like it's almost like a long stretch with no stop signs. So I typically use it during that so people don't look at me like a big weirdo. But uh, no, much appreciated for the recommendation because it's been pretty and, awesome.
1: And, that, you know, that sensation of getting a full breath, like you're working out and then you're like, Oh, you get that full satisfying breath. If you use an inspiratory trainer, that sensation comes much more easily. Yep. You start to get that sensation much more easily. It's pretty interesting.
0: No, thank you for the explanation on that. That's awesome. So to wrap this up, um, we've been with level method now for, uh, about, two and a half years and it's it's been an awesome ride you and i've had a few business uh things that we've worked on together i've been on your podcast now you're on this one um what's next for level method
1: um i mean we have it's always refining our our own systems and what we provide to the legion in terms of like our, our our different systems for gyms one of the new things that we're working on is um levels programming without the system so right now the only way to do level level to get level method programming is through our system and there's a very it's a big barrier to entry in general so over the past few months we've been thinking more and more about offering programming only to gyms and how that would look in the ecosystem of what we do and essentially uh, by being able to offer programming only uh, people can like if I if I think to myself six years ago seven years ago before level method existed and if someone gave me level method uh, level based program that I knew was legit, it would make my life a lot easier in a lot of different ways and it would also make my like in general members would start to intuitively know where they were. Over time, they would start to know. Okay, I'm in this day in this and then that. If we can do that for gyms, if they do come into the system the integration would be much simpler. So we're in the process now of building everything around that. So that's kind of the the new wave. And what that's gonna do, if we can lower the barrier to entry for gyms to have access to programming, it's going to make levels programming way, way more popular. So meaning anybody not doing levels-based programming, it's gonna seem ridiculous. It's gonna be just an RX and a whatever versus having six or seven levels We're also, after much, much deliberation, uh, we're going to start providing a Black Plus level. (laughs) So this is something that, like, you know, we've gone back and forth on this forever. But, you know, uh, after, again, thinking about it a lot, um, a Black Plus will be in the works. So that's another kind of big development. But then it's just refining what we do, continuing to gain data from our gyms, um, refining, if there are any updates to the map, the map does, it's not static. It doesn't, it it might change in the future. Uh, but just looking and seeing what we can do and potentially, um, creating software that helps us build programming, that sort of stuff. So there's a a lot
0: of really cool stuff. I love it. Yeah. I think one of the biggest mistakes or misconceptions that people have about level method is that it's not for the athlete because we've had regionals caliber athletes go through all their levels and they are not red five across the board. Right. And yeah. And they may not even be red in terms of their total level. So there's, there's always room for improvement regardless of who you, who you are and what your current ability level is. And like one thing I always remind people is that, you know, you have the health spectrum, which kind of points out, I think it's like up to blue is more or less beneficial um, in terms of, metabolic health and you know long ter- like longevity in terms of your joints and, and bone health and all the things that we're looking for in terms of living uh, you know increasing our, uh, the quality of our health span or our lifespan. Um, but once you get to that point and you're like, you know what I don't want to have to develop or attain a ring muscle up that's just not something that I'm interested in. Purely by proving that you can maintain your levels as you age mm-hmm. is a way of defying aging. Totally. And so it's always a point that I make for people that kind of get into this sticking point where they're like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm I'm blue overall. I don't really want to put in the extra time to work on developing a snatch or developing a ring muscle up or these other things or a sub six mile. But I'm like, yeah, but if twice a year, three times a year, four times a year, however often you can prove to yourself that you are equally as fit, that is just as as imperative and impactful in terms of your life.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the goal for, I mean, if you look at the spectrum of people, not everybody is going to go to brown, black. Not everyone should. It, it, like the whole idea is to give, uh, it's like a scale. It's like, just let me see where I am. And if I'm feeling good here, I don't need to continuously gain or continuously lose. I'm good right here. Right. <laughs> you know, I've I've lost weight. I'm at my ideal weight where do I want to go? No, I maintain, you know, so I totally agree with that.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, I uh, really appreciate you coming on. I know that this is going to be really insightful, not just for my own members that are um, within the level method system, but also for gym owners um, and people that might be looking for a gym uh, that utilize the level method uh, methodology. So um, thank you so much for coming on. I know the audience got a ton of information about this. Uh, Tell everybody a little bit more about where they can learn more about you and level method.
1: Yeah, um, I have uh, an Instagram, personal Instagram, Nathan Holiday, but primarily, I mean, I'm not really on there too much. Primarily, it's Level Method, uh, levelmethod.com or The Level Method on Instagram. We post different stuff, but I think levelmethod.com is the best place if anybody's
0: interested in getting in touch. Awesome. Well, hey, Nathan, thanks again so much for coming on. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.